This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Hi, everybody, and hello, and welcome to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. By a 3-2 to two vote along party lines, the Federal Communications Commission voted to take away the rules brought forth in the Obama administration, uh, basically known as net neutrality. The rules that don't allow ISPs, Internet service providers, to favor certain content in the search over others. That was seen as burdensome regulation by the current administration. So what will happen now? We asked that of Kevin Warbach, Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School, and also uh, Christian Hogendorn, who who is an associate professor of economics at Wesleyan University. Kevin, Christian, great to have you both with us today. Thank you. Hi, Dan. Hi there. Thank you both. Uh, I think I have a hunch, Kevin, uh, what your reaction to this actual vote is. So I I will take it to this point. How do you think this decision, if it stands, court challenges at all, how it's going to affect the Internet and our citizens? The first thing to understand is that... People uh, often have the perception that this decision came out of nowhere. This is a fight that's been going on for roughly 15 to 20 years. And uh, the specific rules that are being rolled back are rules that the FCC put into place in 2015. Um, But but this has really been a a great struggle over the future of the Internet that's been going on at the FCC for a long time. Um, I'm concerned um, if, as you say, the, the rules... Or the elimination of the rules holds up in court, and if Congress doesn't step in to provide a new framework with legislative backing, not having any kind of framework to address potentially anti-competitive and discriminatory behavior by broadband providers is a real problem. Not not because those companies are evil, um, but because uh, if the incentives are there and if there isn't a, a cop on the beat to distinguish legitimate business practices from anti-competitive discrimination, then we've seen time and time and again that what's going to happen are decisions that restrict choice, that limit innovation, that hurt uh, new startups trying to get into the marketplace, and that ultimately make the Internet less vibrant for everyone. Christian? Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. I think you, know, you, you began the hour talking about the power failure uh, in Atlanta, and uh, electricity is a utility. We've known that we need to have a framework to make sure it's available to every company and every airport uh, for a really long time. And so we have that framework in place, and it's worked great. Electricity has boosted the economy tremendously. And it's the same kind of thing happening here. That we need that. Uh, Kevin, obviously the court challenges, I think, are an interesting angle to this. And obviously I don't think anybody is surprised by it. Um, what is your reaction to, obviously, a lot of these states' attorneys generals really uh, jumping on board to, to try and make their feelings well-known? Well, it's not just the states. So this was a pretty yeah. radical move. So in some ways, this was not surprising at all. Ajit Pai, who uh, was named chairman of the FCC by uh, President Trump, was on the commission when the previous rules were put into place, and he, he's for years very strongly objected to these rules and, and argued that we need to get rid of them. So there was no doubt once he was named chairman and Republicans got a majority on the FCC that this was a step they were going to take. That being said, it's a pretty extraordinary step. The whole idea of having an FCC as an independent expert regulator 
is that it's not something that's going to change just based on the political winds. So the issue is, in 2015, the FCC went through this massive process, got all kinds of public comment, expert uh, economic analysis, and so forth, and decided that it had the proper legal authority and the proper justification to adopt these rules. And, and these rules were replacing earlier rules that they put into place in 2010 that just had some um, problems in terms of the legal authority. So, that, so they did that in 2015. It was upheld by the courts. And the argument that the FCC made in 2015 was that the previous way that they classified broadband legally, which goes back to 2002, was no longer relevant, that the world had changed in 2002. Okay, that got upheld. A year and a half later, the FCC comes in and says, you know what, we're going to change our mind completely. Why? Well, you know, they made a bunch of arguments that that all investment has stopped and that the Internet has heavily regulated the last two years. Really, basically what happened was someone else got elected president. And that should not be a sufficient basis for the agency completely flipping itself and and not just eliminating the 2015 rules, but eliminating all of the rules governing this uh, broadband provider conduct, rules which go back decades. Well, and and Christian, from the economics perspective, uh, this does have an unbelievable potential impact moving forward for a lot of the ISPs that are are out there. Yeah, it really does. Um, I think it's probably fair to divide the um, internet or the ISP capability into two sides, a kind of a utility function and then the media function. Right. right? So, you know, there's your Netflix on the one, on, on the media side. And then on the utility side, you know, take a big company like Adobe, right? I mean, they're not a content provider, but their whole business is based on the internet being free and open, people sharing all sorts of documents and creating all kinds of content and so, and so forth. Um, and so I think the absolute worst case scenario would be if this starts to limit the creativity of companies that are using the internet as a utility. Um, and then we have to, even, even if that doesn't happen, then we have to talk about the whole media side and wow, this is going to change everything. We're talking with Kevin Warbach of the Wharton School, Christian Hogendorn of Wesleyan University. Your comments are welcome at any point throughout. We're talking about uh, the ruling uh, by the FCC voting 3-2 to two, uh, to get rid of net neutrality rules. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. It, it is interesting also, I think, Kevin, that... At, not that these are directly linked, but also the fact that these changes are coming forth at a time where we are seeing, uh, you know, I don't think turbulence is the word, but when you have potential mergers like AT&T, Time Warner that are sitting out there, it is certainly a time where we are seeing, you know, quite a shifting in terms of a lot of these companies that are involved in these realms. Well, I think it's clear to most people out there that there has been tremendous consolidation in uh, telecom and internet and media companies. And I think most people have the sense that there's not sufficient competition, that a few companies are too powerful. In fact, um, you know, the, the president ha- has made those remarks, and the, the Justice Department has sued to block AT&T buying Time Warner on the theory that um, there's too much consolidation and too much power. So the idea that the FCC at the same time is saying, oh, there's so much competition that we can get rid of any rules that that we can allow uh, you know the most blatant practices there you know there are legitimate debates about the scope of these rules and how we should ensure 
uh, non-discrimination in a way that doesn't uh, cut off legitimate business investment. Uh, but saying basically what the FCC is saying, which is that it's now legal for a company to literally block their competitor's services. So under these, yeah. you know, th- this new policy that goes into effect, if this is upheld in court, a company like AT&T or, or Verizon can, can literally say, we're not going to uh, let you get to a website because it's run by a competitor. Uh, that just makes no sense in this environment. Christian? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, okay, so to be fair, I think their idea is if that caused some kind of market failure, it would be dealt with by the FTC as an antitrust issue. So uh, so there is that sort of backstop against the uh, worst behavior of that, of that sort. Um, but I still think that we really need a more overarching framework for how the Internet is going to work as part of our economy, just like we've always done. We did it for railroads, we did it for electricity, telephone. They all have had to have some kind of framework. And, and I, I can understand if there's some thought that maybe the original network neutrality or the most recent network neutrality rules weren't quite the best framework. But what I hear coming out of the FCC is that there absolutely shouldn't be any framework whatsoever because that's just bad and, and will somehow stifle competition or something. Does that does that potentially make it a little bit of a Wild West scenario where, you know, it would be kind of open season for a lot of these companies, as Kevin kind of suggests, uh, to, to basically be able to block a lot of entities out there? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have a lot of evidence from the cable industry that they do this. There's all, there's all sorts of evidence of, of favoritism toward uh, the content that's owned by the cable company versus the content that's owned by others. Um, so so I think noted to keep expect- – I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Christian, finish up. No, no, go ahead. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. So I was just going to say to keep in mind, though, is um, it's not the, going to be the case that the companies are going to immediately jump in and start blocking things left right. and right, right because they understand, first of all, this is pending in court. Second of all – the FCC uh, and the industry are playing directly to Congress. So there, everyone generally agrees that ultimately this would be better dealt with by Congress adopting legislation. Right. And very clearly what the FCC is trying to do is to create a kind of crisis to say, oh, there's no rules. So therefore the Democrats in Congress will have to cave in and accept very limited net neutrality rules and legislation. Um, but, you know, the, the argument could go the other way, that, that, you know, now there's this backlash brewing where, where, you know, people and startups and other companies are jumping and say, wait a minute, we need to have stronger rules now because uh, we're seeing the, the danger of, of this situation. Uh, but the, the companies, the broadband companies are, are smart. So they're not going to rush in to start uh, you know, blocking everything in a way that they understand will, will provoke such a push that some Republicans in Congress will start to favor stronger rules. But we're already, frankly, starting to see that. There's some Republican members of Congress who started to suggest that, that maybe we actually do need fairly strong net neutrality legislation because they, they can open up the window and, and hear their constituents saying, well, you know, wait a minute, we didn't have a populist uprising here electing this president because we wanted to give power to a few corporations to control what we can say. But Kevin, how, how challenging is it to have an expectation of having the right legislation brought forward when we're talking about something that, that is consistently morphing uh, and, and developing, as obviously we've seen over, over the last uh, decade or two, uh, that, you know, Regulation A, if it is brought forth in 2017 or, or 2018 or 2019, whatever it might be, may be outdated in two or three years. Well, Christian makes a good point, which is that we need a framework. And 
you know, the, the basic legal framework for antitrust law and the basic regu- legal framework for communications law and, and many of these other things go back a century or more. And uh, they have generally worked pretty well because they are sufficiently general. And they leave uh, some authority to, for example, expert regulators like the FCC to figure out how to apply those general principles in specific cases. So, so this is something that right. we know how to do. Eight four yeah, four. Go ahead, Christian. I, I think that's right. Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, I think that's right. As it, it, long as it's sufficiently general, I think that's really helpful. We've gotten into this whole complicated, geez, it's like 50 years old now, rigmarole over what's an information service and what's yeah. a telecommunication service. And that all really dates to the age of telephone. You know, that's not really a Internet concept. So it's not a bad idea to have a new overarching framework for the Internet in particular, as long as, as Kevin says, as long as it's sufficiently general and just lays out a kind of guiding principle that there'll be expert regulation if and when needed in order to keep things open and, and serving the public interest. Well, so cr- cr- Christian, quite a few articles in the last few days have been written about what the what the impact is going to be on the consumer. And, and, and obviously, from that perspective, I think that a, a lot of the concern is the cost that we are now paying for our Internet service, for our, you know, for our cloud services, for, you know, for a variety of different things. You know, are, are we basically opening the door to allow the the Comcasts and the Verizons of the world to be able to just have an open season on charging a lot more for services that aren't necessarily that much further developed than what we see right now? Yeah, you know, I don't think that I'm, I'm not sure that this is going to lead to higher direct bills to consumers. Um, and in fact, I could even imagine some cases where it leads to lower direct bills to consumers because they say, oh, you know, now we have this arrangement with Netflix and you get your Netflix free or something like that. Right. And, you know, actually that comes at the expense of other companies and then it comes at the expense of innovation and so forth. But it kind of seems like a good deal at the time to the consumer. So I don't think that really the, the issue okay. is, in the, is in the monthly bill to the consumer, at least not in my mind anyway. Kevin? I think that's right. Uh, there, there's been a lot of um, sort of uh, things out there that, that you see in the press that suggest that, that, that that's what this is about. And, and, you know, open Internet rules are about openness. They're about non-discrimination. The, the reason that people are concerned about prices and the reason that, that there's a broad sense prices are too high is that there's not enough competition. Because ultimately right. competition is what lowers prices. Um, and, and, and that's not going to go away. And, and giving more power to... The companies that are dominant today is is a good way to prevent the spread of competition, to, to prevent new innovators from coming into the marketplace. But but that's likely what we're going to see. Um, you know, a lot of the debate recently about net neutrality has been about what's called paid prioritization and about what's called zero rating. And these are a variety of pricing and business arrangements that uh, essentially uh, encourage the, or in some cases essentially force, um, these content and service providers to, to subsidize what's going to the consumer um, in a way, again, that, that, that cuts off competition, as Christian was saying, and, and makes the market less healthy and less beneficial for consumers overall. But, you know, as I said before, the, the issue here is distinguishing legitimate pro-consumer business arrangements, which, which I think conceivably you could have under some of these 
types of subsidy arrangements right. from ones that are anti-competitive. And that, that's where, again, you know, the, the whole idea is you have an expert regulator that, that can go and look at these things and decide which are legitimate um, under a general kind of framework. And that, and that everyone seems to think that that makes sense, except the FCC at this point. Well, then where do you also stand on the, the concern that is out there that this is going to be, and, and I don't necessarily believe this, but uh, that, that this, this decision, if it moves forward, and again, a lot of these things that we're talking about here, we have to co- put a caveat with because of the fact that there will be uh, court challenges on this. Uh, but, you know, the impact potentially on free speech here in the U.S., Kevin. Well, so it's important to, to understand um, you know, that this is predominantly about um, economic relationships yeah. uh, between uh, individuals. Uh, you know, th- th- there is a concern that that if uh, broadband companies have too much unfettered power to discriminate, that they will use it in ways that that constrain free expression. And I, and I think that's a uh, you know that that's a reasonable concern, but yeah. you know these are these are business people that run these companies, and and their focus I think is is primarily um, on uh, you know trying to advantage themselves economically. That being said, yes, I mean if, if you look at overall what this FCC is doing, where they're eliminating these net neutrality rules at the same time as they are deliberately changing the rules on media ownership in specific ways to help Sinclair Broadcasting, which is a right. very conservative aligned company that that uses its control over local broadcast television stations to promote a particular ideological agenda. The FCC is changing the rules to to make it easier for them to buy Tribune Broadcasting and have uh, more dominance over local television. Yeah, I think think it is fair to be concerned about um, what the FCC is doing from a free speech standpoint. Um, but it's 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 really the the broader question of the internet as an open platform which is threatened right now. Christian? Yeah, you know, actually that brings up one of the things that is special about the FCC as an expert regulator is it was it has been charged with protecting diversity of voices uh in media. And I think some people are kind of feeling like that's getting to be kind of an old-fashioned concern, but I actually believe that that's that's really important, and it's not so much about can an individual post comments on uh, you know a political uh, question or something. It's how many different types of news outlets are there? Even how many different types of arts outlets? What kinds of movies are out there? Um, All kinds of questions about can you start up a new type of content provider? And I think that's the kind of thing that could be deterred under a non-neutral regime, because you might have to pay up or you might be stepping on somebody's toes so you compete with the wrong uh, with the wrong group that's already aligned with one of the ISPs. Are, are we in a are we in a realm, Kevin, that that we can still see uh, smaller uh, entities in in this world, uh, in this sector, I should say, uh, be able to try and push forward and be successful? It's challenging, and it's challenging for a lot of reasons. Part of why the, the the conversation right now is is so muddled, but also partly why you're seeing just you know so much uh, debate and and angst about this decision is that it's not just in the broadband world where we have not enough competition, where we have you know very powerful dominant intermediaries. We're also seeing that with the rise of these internet platforms like Google and Facebook that the control. Um, the vast majority of the online advertising revenue and, and such influence over online communication. Uh, you know, ultimately, I think 
these are related problems, and and you know Congress needs to think about uh, how to Kevin, work them together. Did you just bring up an elephant that happens to be standing in the room? <laughs> I did, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no question. So that's that that's part of this. So I, I think you know, and, and the the problem is. People like Ajit Pai at the FCC, he's given speeches saying, well, the real problem is these dominant platforms. And even if that's true, that's not a reason to deregulate the broadband providers and, right. and eliminate their open Internet protections. Um, but, but, yeah, there's a lot of challenges for small players trying to get into the market now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's not just this. Um, but you know, adding another arrow in the quiver for broadband providers to, to be able to, to prevent new forms of competition really seems to be going the wrong direction. Christian? I guess, you know, I mean, if, if we're going to bring those guys up, right, so that's, that's a really, I mean, they have a certain utility-like aspect, too. I'm talking about Google and Facebook yeah. um, and some of the services that Amazon offers and so forth. And... It's possible, I don't know if anybody has the stomach for it, but it's possible that if we really did have new legislation and it were general enough, it, it could have some clauses in it that might, you know, I, I don't think it would lead to direct, you know, minute, detailed regulation of those companies, but it might have some clauses about openness, which could be used, if necessary, um, presumably by the FCC, to keep things more open. And I would I would very much support that. I really don't know. That's a very complicated topic to get into in Congress these days. Um, but it, it's an interesting possibility. Well, and, and it goes to the greater conversation, Christian, uh, of what our communications sector is these days and what it's going to look like in the next, you know, in the next 50 yeah. years or so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of like the way you know, at one time, passenger rail was the big thing that rail offered, and everybody was concerned about whether that was open and, and, and available to everyone. And then as time went on, that didn't turn out to be such a big deal. You know, it was more, it was more freight that the railroads offered, right? And I, this could be the same kind of thing, right? It's, it's surprising. All the over-the-top services, all the big platforms, they have a lot of market power. A little hard to imagine that you could run a network by saying, well, we're going to exclude Facebook unless they pay us a lot of money. It's like, seriously, you're going to run a broadband provider that doesn't offer Facebook? Right. Kevin? Yeah, th- this is where we're ultimately going. Uh, it- it's somewhat ironic that um, the-, the argument from Republicans and conservatives against what the FCC did in 2015, where they reclassified broadband under Title II, so they put broadband providers under the legal regime for that, that applies to telephone companies, which, which originally the wireline broadband service DSL was subject to, but cable wasn't and so forth. But the FCC clearly said in 2015, this is subject to these rules. The, the argument against it was your um, overshooting, that, that, that if you try to push this, there will be a backlash, um, and, and ultimately it will be reversed. You should, you should do a more um, moderate position. We're seeing exactly the same thing in the other direction now, where the FCC is not, not only, again, getting rid of those, that classification, they're getting rid of all the rules entirely. I, I think it's, it's really opening up more of this conversation, which, again, is, is not just a, a partisan view on the left. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of conservatives um, who are convinced that the media is predominantly controlled by liberals who are, are waking up to the fact that, that, wait a minute, we're going to give them unfettered control over uh, what kind of content we see. So, so ultimately, I, I think the, you know, if you look at the mood in the country, 
um, it's moving more to recognition that that uh, these are real problems. Um, and yeah, I, you know, it, it's hard to imagine Congress passing anything anytime soon about anything. Right. Um, but ultimately, my guess is we are going to at some point see a grand bargain, which is we'll get back net neutrality rules, and we will also get uh, rules that sweep in these uh, digital platform providers. And, and honestly, you know, regulation is not a four-letter word. I mean, you know, the idea that we have rules that say you need to operate in, in an appropriate way to promote a flourishing, well-functioning market um, is not some radical, radical crazy leftist idea. Um, and, and again, I, I think you know it, it's by sweeping them away that I think people are starting to wake up to that fact again. But not only do you do we have to look, Kevin, at, at the issues surrounding net neutrality, but we also, and we've talked with you about this in the past, we still have to look at the uh, at the issues surrounding the access to the internet in parts of this country, which are just not the same as what we would have here in Philadelphia or you know in New York City or L.A. That's still an issue that needs to be addressed. Oh yeah, that's always an issue. So, so the, the challenge is, it's a big country, it's a spread out country, it's going to cost more always, what, whatever the state of the technology, it's going to cost more and be harder to provide similar levels of service. So if I want to get a gigabit in Philadelphia, it's going to be harder to write a gigabit in some parts of the country, in particular rural areas. So there's, a, there's an important public policy debate about what do you do about that? Do you say, well, you know, I, I don't get subsidies because my house costs a lot more in Philadelphia than right. it does in rural Idaho. So therefore, I shouldn't pay so that someone in rural Idaho chooses to live there, gets a gigabit just because I do. That's a that's a really important social policy debate that we've been having off and on again for a century, and we should keep having it and figure it out. Um, and there's lots of steps the government can and should take. And and frankly, Ajit Pai, the FCC chairman, you know, has stated that it's a priority of his to address this rural broadband issue and i think that's that's certainly a good thing um but but again the the, the way to get there is not to to get rid of these rules and, yeah. and i think by basically suggesting that uh the government uh, should do less uh it's really i guess cutting against that that idea that that we should come together as a country decide what our priorities are uh and then use the levers of public policy to implement them christian yeah i think i think that's right you know economists are always talking about things on the margin. And if you want to get the uh, networks extended on the margin into an underserved area, uh, the way to do that is probably not to put some sort of tax on Netflix or Facebook in, in the already served area. That's just so indirect and roundabout. Uh, it doesn't seem like the way to, to do that. Great, great having you both with us. Thank you, Christian. Kevin, thank you as well. Appreciate your time today. Thanks, Dan. Thank you both. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.